Good morning, Gateway Church. It is good to be here worshiping with you guys this morning. Hey, uh, before we get started with the message, I just want to give a big shout out to uh, those of you who helped out with, with VBS this week. Uh, those of you who were there, you, uh, you know that it was an incredible week. It was an awesome week. Man, those kids, they had a great time. I believe they learned so much, and uh, you know, I think I think the message of, of Jesus and the fact that we serve an awesome, a loving, a surprising God. I believe that message was planted in their hearts this week. So thank you for for those of you who who volunteered with that. Maybe it was through donations or or actually being here, uh, helping out, whatever it was. Thanks for serving in that way. And if you didn't, uh, it's okay. We don't know who you are, but I'll say you missed out. You missed out on a great week. Uh, and it was just, just incredible. As you saw from the, uh, the pictures and the video, we raised five cents more than the, the goal that we wanted to, to hit, yes, for, for our Gateway Mission Haiti. Um, and so that, will, uh, that, will, uh, that money that we raised will go toward building uh, I think a few houses, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but uh, at least one house for a family over in Haiti. So it was just awesome to see the kids uh, get so excited about that and, and give money towards that. So that was awesome. Well, hey, last week we started our Pray for One Summer Edition series, and, and this is something that we want to keep in front of you, uh, in front of us as a church, for two reasons. One is that, uh, you know, for the reason that we are a praying church. We are a church that believes in the power of prayer, and we believe in a merciful and a powerful God who answers prayer, right? And secondly, we are an evangelistic church. We believe that without the saving grace of Jesus Christ on the cross, that a person is spiritually lost and will spend an eternity in hell, separated from God and all that is good, suffering the anguish of eternal torment. And so for this reason, for, for these reasons, we have pushed this church-wide campaign of praying for one person that God has placed on your heart uh, and with whom we feel uh, uh, you know, this connection with, or, or uh, maybe it's somebody that we have a close relationship with, uh, whatever it is. But reaching the world for Christ, it doesn't begin with you know, reaching the masses, right? It begins with the people who are closest to you, your friends, your family. How can we reach those outside of our inner circle if we can't even reach our inner circle? And if you don't have a Pray for One shirt, uh, check out our website, gatewaychurch.net. Uh, go to the online store there and, and get one. I wore mine last week. I didn't want to wear it again because you guys probably would have thought that I didn't wash it, and there's a good chance that I'd didn't if I wore it again. So uh, I'll just say that. I'll be honest with you. No, but get one. Get one of those shirts because those shirts, uh, not only are they, they're nice, they're very comfortable, but they serve as a great reminder. A great reminder when you put it on, you think to yourself, man, am I, have I been praying for my one? Have I been lifting them up? Have I been taking them into the presence of God like we talked about last week? I am I being faithful in that commitment to them? But it also serves as a message to, to those who see us out in public, right, that might not know God, or, or that they do, uh, or they, they might know God, they might have a relationship with them, but it tells them that, hey, I've got, I'm on a mission, I've got business to do, and I, I've got business, and it's the Father's business that I'm taking care of. So um, it, it also serves as that great message as well. 
And so last week we, we looked at uh, the story in Mark chapter 7, and we looked at the story of the persistent mother who came to Jesus and begged uh, Jesus to cast this demon out of her daughter. And in that, we saw that everyone matters to God and that there's no case that's too hard for him. And the title of last week's message was Fervently Praying, and that's what this desperate mother was doing. That's what she was doing in this situation. She was, she was passionate in her request for healing for her daughter, and you and I, we would be doing the same thing if we were in the same situation with, a, with our kid or with our loved one, right? And the title of today's message is Deliberately Loving. If you have a one, and I, I certainly hope that you do, you need to be deliberate in your love toward him or, or her. And what do I mean by this word deliberate? Well, I mean deliberate. I mean it in its truest, uh, truest form. I mean uh, purposeful, careful, intentional. We need to think through how we act toward and how we respond to the one that God has placed on our hearts who has maybe wandered away from him. And as we'll see this morning, we have to um, be deliberate in a couple different ways. And the first way is that uh, when our one is doing what they should be doing, we should be deliberate uh, in our actions with them there, but we should also be deliberate when they're doing what they should not be doing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is deliberate, personal, and intentional love. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can turn there or scroll there. Uh, and we're, we are going to be looking at probably, probably the most popular parable shared by Jesus, and that is the story of the prodigal son. Now, some of you might remember that we used this parable back in February, uh, Sunday, February 20th, in the original series, this launch series uh, of our Pray for One theme, which was titled Pray for a Specific Someone. And in that message, we made some very broad statements about the love of the Father. Remember that the Father in this story represents God the Father. And so the main point that we made in that sermon was that God loves the One. His love is both broad and specific. It is broad in the sense that he loves the world, but also specific in the sense that he loves each of us uniquely. Even before we were born, even while we were still sinners, God loved us uniquely. So we know that God loves us and he loves our one, but what I want to do this morning is bring up uh, or bring out from the story exactly how he loves us. That is how our, our Heavenly Father is deliberate with His love for us. And when we understand this, when we begin to see how God loves us, we'll have a better idea of ourselves of how to love our one. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, and we're only going uh, to go down through verse 24, and we won't deal with the older brother's response this morning in this message. So verse 11, starting there. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And, why, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger." I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. In this story, I think it's impossible not to notice how deliberate the father was in how he expressed his love to a son. And the first action of this deliberate love shown by the father is that he let him go. He let his son go. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, so we, we, might, uh, we might miss some of the first century cultural nuances here. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they're, they're listening in uh, to Jesus as he tells this, and they had accused Jesus of being someone who hangs out with sinners, right? They accused him of having this habit. The disciples, they are also sitting in and listening, and they were always uh, kind of a few steps behind Jesus in their understanding, right? They were probably closer in their understanding than, uh, you know, they were closer to the Pharisees and the scribes in their understanding than, than they were uh, with Jesus, right? But Jesus had just told them two parable, uh, parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin and how diligently the owners went and searched for what was lost. And now he shifts to this story about a lost son. And the first two stories would have made, uh, it would have made sense, you know, it would have made the, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the scribes, and the disciples, you know, probably squint their eyes and nod their heads in, in agreement. And they could understand how a shepherd would want to go and, and find his lost sheep, right? Leave everything behind for that one. Maybe it was a risk to, to leave the 99, but, but they could understand, and no one likes to lose anything, and, and I mean, and they could definitely understand how, you know, looking for lost money is, is something that, that we all do, right? We can all relate to that. But this story about a father and, and the two sons, it would take them from understanding to contempt. The younger son, uh, probably a teenager or, or in his early 20s at this point, he had no right to ask for his share of his inheritance uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, for one, he had no right to ask for it ahead of his brother. And secondly, he had no right to ask for it uh, because his father hadn't even died yet. His father was still living. And so he was being extremely disrespectful here. 
He was showing no signs of love or even the slightest regard or gratitude for all that his father and probably his grandfather had worked to acquire for his family. In fact, this request it probably would have been perceived as equivalent to the son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Just give me, give me what you've got for me and let me go about my business. Right? This young man, he was rebellious. He wanted his way, he wanted his freedom, and he wanted whatever money he had coming to him as an inheritance. And his father was in the way of all of that. Can you imagine how this made the father feel? In a culture where honor was so important, where living by the Ten Commandments, I mean, especially the one that said, honor your father and your mother, right? This was just an evil request. And at the least, the son deserved a stern talking to about gratitude and respect. And at the most, the son deserved a slap across the face, right? It was the first century, spare the rod, spoil the child type attitude, Proverbs 13, 24. Can you imagine how this made those uh, who were listening feel? They had been raised in, in that same culture of honor and respect, and it would have been, they probably would have furrowed their brows in, in, you know, uh, in scorn uh, at this part of the story. Are you serious? The son actually did this? He's a madman, right? Who would do that? How does this make you feel, though? How does this make you feel? I know for some of you, your one is a wayward son or daughter or family member. Your one is, is a family member or a friend who, who has taken advantage of your love or your kindness, and they have just squandered it all. And there are several things that, that I would have done differently in this story as a father, but, and you guys probably would too. You could probably agree in that. But remember, the father in this story represents God. And what did he do? Well, he gave him his inheritance and he let him go. And this was probably one of the hardest things that this father had ever done in his entire life. He let him go. Let him go. Let her go. This was an act of deliberate love. Think about it. Think about it. If he would have refused to give him the money, uh, and if he had re refused to let him go, it would have caused this, this anger and this resentment in the son to build up that probably would have caused him to never come to his senses later on. We're not robots, though, right? Well, you know, God gave us this freedom to choose him, and in that, in that freedom, he also gave us the freedom to walk away from him. Remember when the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus, right? He, Jesus didn't run after him and try to compromise on the things that he just said, uh, you know, to, to try to make following him easier, Jesus didn't say, okay, well, just sell part. Just sell part of what you have and keep the rest and just come follow me. No. Jesus, he, he didn't do that. And you know, the very, the very reason that we have free will is because God loves us, right? We can't force love. If you force somebody to do something, well, it's not freedom at that point, right? And the fact that we can walk away and engage in rebellious and evil behavior simply points back to God's love for us. I'll say this, though, uh, Christian apologist Sean McDowell, he uh, agrees that this problem uh, of evil, pain, and suffering uh, is probably one of the toughest objections to the Christian faith um, that would, you know, that's it's hard for us to answer. It's hard to provide a response to. 
But also, uh, another Christian uh, apologist, Clay Jones, he says that when you understand salvation, when you understand our brokenness, our sin nature, that, that evil pain and suffering, it's not that big of a deal because we have an eternal promise to put our hope in. Love doesn't just work in a relationship, though, if, if we don't have the freedom to stay in the freedom to reject. So as hard as it may be to let your loved one walk away or to let your one walk away from you or, or from God, you have to. You've got to let them do it. You know, if, if they're an adult, you, you've got to let them. You can't make them stay. You've got to let them do it. Or else they might resent you or they might resent God for a long time and they may never come to repentance later on. Second thing I want you to notice uh, about the father in this story is that the father never stopped watching for his son to come back. He never stopped watching for his son to come back. Just because the father let him go, it doesn't mean that he didn't love him, right? That he stopped loving his son. It doesn't mean that he stopped watching and, and hoping for him to return. And one of my favorite lines in this story is in verse 20, and it says, but while he was still a long way off, the father, his father saw him and felt compassion. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I think the implication here in this is that the father, he was always watching. He was always looking down the road. Every day he was thinking about his wayward son. Every day he was looking down the road, looking down the path to see if his son might be coming home that day. And sure, the father, he, he probably kept living his life, right? He probably kept going about his own business, but every day, his son was on his mind and he kept watching. And notice that unlike the shepherd with the, the one that lost the sheep and the woman who lost the coin, the father didn't go out scouring the countryside looking for a son. This is a hard place to be as a parent, right? Or, or as a grandparent or a family member or, or a friend. This can be a difficult place to be because it, it, it's hard to just sit back and watch your one go down into the pig pen of this life and scrape around for their next hit, isn't it? It's hard to watch your one starve in the famine of the gutter when you have plenty on your own table. But here's what love knows. Love knows that it takes time for someone who is living in rebellion, and it takes time for someone who is used to having plenty, and it takes time for someone who has shown an attitude of youthful disrespect to come to their senses. Love understands the patience of time. And it took a while for this young man, right? It took him a while to come to his senses. Even after he had squandered all that his father gave him uh, on wild living, he still wasn't ready. So he went to work for a pig farmer. And imagine with me for a moment the, the, the looks on the faces uh, of those listening to Jesus at that moment. Right? I mean, Jesus, he could have said a goat farmer or a cattle farmer or even a shepherd would have been better in this situation. But pigs? I mean, come on, pigs, they were, they were detestable. They were unclean animals that the Jews never touched. And I tell you, uh, after going to the Putnam County Fair the other night, I don't want to touch them either, okay? Um, unless they're bacon. Amen? Amen. All right, yes. Thank you. Now, I know uh, there, there's got to be a few people in here that have raised hogs, right? Anybody? Yeah? Anybody that's still raising, raising hogs? No? Not here today. I know there's a family here. They're not here today. Uh, but uh, 
why, I mean, we, we call, uh, let me ask you this, has anybody ever slopped hogs? Yeah? How do you say that, slopped or slopped? You slop the hogs? I feel like, I feel like you got to say it that way. No, you, we've all, uh, or not we've all, you guys have done that. And what does, what does it mean to slop the hogs? It means to feed them. Feed them the what? The slop, right? Yeah. It reminds me, uh, I'm going off track here, but uh, there's a Dr. Seuss book. Any uh, young parents out there know what I'm talking about? What, uh, slop, 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 whatever, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get back on track here. Sorry. So to slop the hogs, right, these old time or, or these, uh, these poor hog farmers, they would throw together all their leftovers, their messy um, slops into a bucket, and that's what they would use to feed their hogs, and it would become this huge, stinky pile of slop. And the pigs, they loved it, right? The pigs, they, they'll eat anything, especially if you've been to Haiti. You understand this as you're driving down Pig Beach. There's just pigs out there scattered eating the trash that is covering the sand. And, and this slop, it's kind of like junk food uh, for you and I. So this young man in the story, he was working in the pig pen and he was eating the pig's food. It was the absolute bottom for this young Jewish man. And it was lower than low. And if his family had even heard of what he, where he'd been, they would surely disown him. And when you're on the bottom, anything looks good, doesn't it? And this is why it takes time for us to come to our senses. In fact, there's, there's stages of this. There's stages of repentance. And the first is that there's regret, right? It's a godly sorrow that drives us to our knees and, and, and drives us to tears for our condition. And we must be sorry for what we've done to ourselves and what we've done to others. But most importantly, we must be sorry for how we have offended our Heavenly Father. Secondly, there's responsibility in repentance. Accept the responsibility for what you've done and who you've become. Don't try to pass the buck or, or play the blame game, right? You made the choices that got you to where you are, and you chose to walk away from what you thought was better than what the Father had. Finally, there's this return. And that's what repentance means. It comes from this Greek word, metanoia. And it means to change your mind or to change your way of thinking. Essentially, it means to turn around. And for the Christian, there's one more step in repentance, and that's restoration only through the love and grace of God. That's the only true way of healing. He is the only one who can restore us. And somehow the father in this story, he knows that, uh, that this is what has to happen in the life of his son. He has to change the way of his thinking and return home on his own volition. So he kept his eyes on the road and he never stopped watching for him to come back. I want you to see one more way this morning uh, of how the father was deliberate about his love toward the son. And that is that he welcomed him home without question. You know, there's so many places in this story that would have raised the eyebrows of, of those listening, especially the religious leaders and even the disciples in this story. I mean, a, a disrespectful son, right? A loose and lavish lifestyle and hog-slopping conditions. And we don't have time to go into it, but even the angry older brother here. But I think one of the main things in the story that would bother them the most and maybe 
it might even bother you and I, is that the Father never presses in. He never, he never presses in on the Son. He didn't pressure him at the beginning of his downward spiral, and he, he didn't question him uh, and press him whenever he came home, right? He didn't ask, where, where have you been? What is that awful smell on your clothes, right? Where's all the money that I gave you? You, you did what? You lost it all? No, there was none of that. There was no pressuring, there was no questioning, and there was no use to do that, was there? No, because what, what was done was done. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that love keeps no record of wrongs. And the message version says that love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Now, instead of wagging his finger in his son's face, the father ran out to him and he embraced him with this hug and, and with a kiss and he refused to treat him like a servant. But instead, he restored him to his place as a son. And he knew the guilt and the shame and the remorse had already taken its course in the son's life. And the boy, he was a little older now. And he was probably a little more wiser and more grateful than ever before. So the father, he put a new robe back on his son. He put a new, a new ring on his hand and he put new shoes on his feet. And all these items, they were an expression of deliberate love. They sent an immediate and a clear message that he was not a servant. Rather, he was a son with all the rights and all the privileges of a son. There was more, though. They went on to have a full-on neighborhood barbecue, right? Most scholars believe, though, that this younger son is intended to represent the Gentiles and the older son, who is jealous, jealous and unhappy about the father's reception, uh, represents the Jewish nation. And so if there, if there wasn't enough shock and awe uh, when Jesus was first telling the story to the religious leaders, then, uh, you know, once the true meaning of this parable hit them, uh, well, they probably would have been fuming, right? It probably took them a couple days to understand what he was meaning here, but they, uh, I'm sure they had this aha moment. But for us, 2,000 years later, we can understand the meaning of this a whole lot quicker, we, we are the Gentiles in this story, uh, and it's a clear message that even we, who are sinners, we have full access to the Father because of, and only because of, His lavish and deliberate love for us. Everything He has done for us, you know, culminating in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus, on the cross, is for the purpose of our salvation. How you welcome your one back into your life is so important. I want you to remember that, that they're coming back because they're sorry, right? Or at least we hope they are. They're repenting because the world has beaten them up and they just realize how much they've hurt you and they've hurt the Father. I want to tell you a, a real life or give you a real life example as we close about um, somebody that I know and that we all probably know who is uh, deliberate and how they show love to others. Dennis Mosley, he's our um, Gateway Recovery House Director, and he is the, the new Marmette Campus Minister. Dennis, he just celebrated 12 years of recovery uh, and sobriety uh, just a couple weeks ago, and, and he comes here on, on Mondays, and I just love sitting down and talking with Dennis about his recovery and just hearing his, his journey, but more than hearing about his, 
recovery. I love hearing about how he is leading others into sobriety and down this path of recovery. And just the other day, like I said, on Monday, he was telling me the story about how uh, the prior week he had to go to jail and he had to, he had to wait in the, in the jail. He didn't go to jail. He went to jail to pick up uh, a new resident for the recovery house. And uh, I was like, that's, that's awesome. He went on to tell me that he had to sit in his car for six hours to wait on this to happen because government paperwork, right? It takes a long time. And when I first heard that, I was shocked. I was like, are you serious? You sat in your car for six hours in this July heat, burning unnecessary fuel when it's $5 a gallon? You did that, right? And whenever, whenever I re- replied in you know, this kind of disbelief, Dennis, you got to know him, he, he replied with, ain't no thing. It ain't no thing, right? And so Dennis, he is the perfect example of this deliberate love his deliberate, he is deliberately loving these men, and it's the six hours in a hot car. It's the kind of non-pressing, unquestioned, anxious, but patiently waiting, ain't no thing kind of love that is bringing these men to recovery and sobriety. And it's the same kind of love that will bring your one back to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your deliberate love. God, you are for us. Your love is intentional. Your love is purposeful. And everything you do is that. Father, I pray that you can help remind us. And I pray that you will press it on our hearts to be that deliberate in our love and our actions towards our ones but not just towards our ones or, or just, uh, just because of them, but Father, because who we are matters. Who we are matters to those who are, who are watching. So Father, I pray that, I pray that they, uh, whoever's watching us uh, as we are followers of you, I pray that you will uh, just help us to live a life that is, that is deliberate in all we do, that is evident of your love in our life so that we can reach the nations, starting with our ones. Father God, again, I pray that you just press these on our hearts, convict us when we're not doing these and and following your will. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and stand with me as we prepare to sing our final song? If you have a decision to make this morning, whether it's about baptism or or salvation uh, this morning, I'm going to be down front here uh, to the right. And I would love to, to talk with you uh, about that decision. Or maybe you just need prayer. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to lift your one up in prayer this morning for something that's going on and you, you want to be intentional about that and let them know that we're praying for them. I, I, I'd love to do that with you. you know, I, I mentioned baptism. I just baptized my younger cousin after the first service this morning and how incredible that is uh, to, to do that. So, If that's your decision this morning, I'd love to take care of that. But whatever it is, um, be thinking about that as we sing this final song.